Joan Esposito. Live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. Hello, it is Friday, February 23rd. How are you? You got through another week. I'm so proud of you. And you kept your good spirits, too, didn't you? Yes, you did. Say it with me. Yes, you did. Uh, Tomorrow, uh, we're going to see a South Carolina Republican primary. The last estimate I saw predicted that Nikki Haley would probably come away with 36% of the vote. Let's keep an eye on that. Because if she does better than that, then... um, That will bode well for her staying in the race. So 36 percent is the figure we're looking at. I'm not sure what they do with mail-in balloting or how quickly they will be able to tell us whether or not she got that 36 percent. But that's um, that's if she gets less than 36 percent, then that's bad. That's very bad. And uh, I don't know how much longer she would be around at that moment in time. Okay, what else is going on? You know, uh, we've been talking about this move in Alabama by the Alabama Supreme Court uh, that ruled that the clump of cells that are in freezers, fertilized cells that uh, people are hoping to implant and have children... (laughs) Those are now officially children in the state of Alabama. They are called extrauterine children, which is frankly what I call my kids who are 26 and 30. They are extrauterine children, as are most children. But this has, uh, this could possibly cause Republicans as much grief as overturning Roe v. Wade. And people are scratching their heads and saying, how is preventing people from having kids? Uh, How is that pro-life? And the reason that when they do fertilize these cells, why they do so many, um, they implant more than one, hoping that they'll get one or two to take. And from what I've read about IVF, in, in vitro fertilization, the average number of rounds is six before people have a kid. Mike Pence's son was born by IVF, and Nikki Haley's kid was born by IVF. Nikki Haley really in a tough spot because she really wants those pro-life votes, and this seems to be a pro-life thing, though it's actually anti-life. It will be something that... That reduces the number of children born. First, there was a major medical center, uh, University of Birmingham, said they weren't going to do IVF anymore. In the 24 hours since I told you that, two other uh, large medical groups in Alabama have now said that they are pausing. They are pausing IVF. It is a complete and utter disaster. The... um, Stupidest man in the Senate is, of course, Alabama Senator uh, Tommy Tuberville. <laughs> he, he doesn't understand. He doesn't understand what IVF is. 
at all. So when a reporter asked him about it, he said that uh, the, the Supreme Court ruling that's basically putting a hold on IVF, that was a good thing. Because anything that leads to more children is a good thing. Wait, what? Excuse me, Senator? Excuse me, Tommy? Do you understand what we're talking about? Listen, this is really quick, but listen to this exchange. Reaction to the Alabama Supreme Court ruling on the fact that embryos are children? Yeah, I was all for it. We need to have more kids. We need to have an opportunity to do that. And this, I thought this was the right thing to do. But IVF is used to have more children. And right now, IVF services are paused at some of the clinics in Alabama. Aren't you concerned that this could impact people who are trying to have kids? Well, that's for that's for another conversation. People need to have that. We need more kids. We need the people to, to have the opportunity to have kids. Senator, what do you say to the women right now in Alabama who no longer have access to IVF or who will not? As a result of this, what do you say to them? Well, that's a hard one. It really is. It's really hard because, uh, again, you want people to have that opportunity, and and that's what I was telling her. We need more kids. We need more kids. So when he says uh, we need more kids, and she she says, "Well, IVF." The ban on IVF means that people who want to have kids can't have kids. Well, I'm going to have to talk to you about that a little later. Because clearly I don't know anything about this subject. Dear God in heaven, I've said it before, I'll say it again. If Texas decides to secede from the United States, they can leave Florida alone. I give them permission now to leave Florida alone. Um, It's not exactly a blue state, but at least there are glimmers of hope in Florida. But they must take Alabama. They must take Alabama with them. That is the only way I will agree to sign off on the secession of Texas from the United States. How bad is this? How bad is this? Matt Gates. Matt Gates is on the right side of this issue. And I just feel like my whole world has been turned inside out. I no longer know what's up or what's down. You know, I thought my head was on the verge of exploding when I would share with you the Mitch McConnell sound bites on Ukraine because he was like, you know, funding Ukraine and standing behind Ukraine is a no-brainer. It's good for them, it's good for us. End of story. But Matt Gates, I never thought... I would hear Matt Gates espousing any position on anything that I would agree with. And I feel, I feel so confused. But listen to what Matt Gates said about this. The world of women's health. Alabama Supreme Court ruling that frozen embryos are considered to be children. Do you think that they got that ruling right? Well, I think the court correctly assessed the law, but I believe the Alabama law needs to change because the Republican Party cannot be the party against family formation. And when we're at the point where we're confusing like families like those you just had on with abortionists, 
Like something is totally wrong. The people who want to have a family should have the government and the law on their side. And the notion that discarded embryos in, in IVF somehow turn these people who want children and want families and want the American dream into criminals is, is really wrong. So for those in the Republican Party and the uh, pro, pro-life movement, as they describe themselves, who say that this is necessarily the next frontier, they're wrong. Pro-life means being pro-IVF. And I've worked side by side with progressive Democrats like Sarah Jacobs to make sure that our military members can have access to IVF in the event of deployment or other challenges to family formation. So you're always going to find me on the side of family formation, not against family formation. I believe the Alabama legislature ought to amend their law so that IVF can occur safely in, in the Yellowhammer state. I know, I know. I've said this before. I try not to play sound from the crazies and from Trump. I I really don't, unless it is just particularly pertinent or amusing. But Matt Gates, And you know what? What really amazed me, he wasn't doing the Republican two-step where they wiffle-waffle and 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 sort of try to have it both ways, which is exactly what I think we're going to get at some point from Nikki Haley, uh, who, by the way, remember I just said a few minutes ago, Nikki Haley uh, used IVF before. Yeah. Yeah. So did Mike Pence. Uh, yeah. It is for having kids. It is for having children's extra uterine children's. Um, but Matt Gates. God love him. Actually, God may be the only one who loves him. Speaking clearly. Well, you know, Alabama Supreme Court may have followed their law, but I think their law is wrong. You think you're going to get that out of Donald Trump? Well, you're going to get something, something out of Donald Trump. Um, some kind of support for IVF. Because here's the thing. Republicans have gotten a little bit smarter. They now understand that the fall of Roe v. Wade was probably the worst thing that ever happened to them politically. Of course, they're not going to admit that. And given every chance, they're going to double down because otherwise they look like the fools that they are. They otherwise have to admit that it was never anything that they really thought through. It was just a good way to get people worked up and get them to the polls. They now understand that IVF is another one of those issues. The overwhelming number of Americans, overall, overwhelming number of Dems, overwhelming number of Republicans believe that IVF in vitro fertilization should be available, should be completely legal. Uh, So much so that um, Republican leadership, the um, Republican Senatorial Committee, which is a national group which tries to get Republicans elected to the Senate, is urging all of the Republican candidates on the ballot this year to support in vitro fertilization to reject any effort by anyone and any government agency to restrict it. If 
Roe v. Wade was a loser for them, the few people who are still in their camp are going to really, really start questioning them when it comes to in vitro fertilization, which nobody has ever thought was controversial in this way before. Oh, and according to the Washington Post, uh, Donald Trump posted something on um, Truth Social uh, stating his support for IVF. He strongly supports it. Now, of course, when it comes to Donald Trump, you know, he's very much like Nikki Haley. He's very much like Lindsey Graham. If six months from now, suddenly conservatives find a reason to hate IVF, you know he'll change that position. Not only will he change his position, but he'll tell us that he never supported it. Because that's what he does all the time. But for now, even Donald Trump has come out and said he supports IVF. Matt Gates supports IVF. Tommy Tuberville will figure out where he stands once somebody explains to him what this is it FV? What what is it now? Once someone explains it to Tommy Tuberville, he's going to come out in favor of it. Of course, he has to come out in favor of it very gently because he is the senator from Alabama whose um, Supreme Court just made this decision. There is a woman. Uh, she is in Texas. And um, she is suing the state of Texas because she nearly died when doctors delayed giving her a medically necessary abortion. Remember the woman had to go out of state? Because they said if she didn't end this pregnancy, not only was her kid going to die, but she'd probably never have kids again. She now has um, announced that she has frozen embryos. She's going to move them out of the state of Texas for fear that Texas will follow along the same lines as Alabama. And she, you know what? It's not a dumb move. It is not a dumb move at all. She's already seen that the state of Texas doesn't give two hoots about women and families. Her name is Amanda Zorowski. And uh, she was on Morning Joe this morning talking with Amika. Listen to this. What do you say? Um to officials in Alabama, to the Supreme Court ruling, uh, I'm sorry, the state Supreme Court ruling in Alabama, and now you know this will, this will take over and spread to other states, that embryos are children, and therefore it makes no sense because what will Alabama do with all of those embryos? How far do you think this will go, and, and what do you think this is doing to women in America overall? I mean, that is my greatest fear, is that we don't know how far this is going to go. The The slope here is so slippery, and it's so steep, and it's terrifying. If you are fortunate enough to have little to no experience with IVF, you don't know the layers of fear that 
are now compounding our ability to to have a family, right? And um, you know, this happened in Alabama, and depending on what happens in November, this could be a nationwide situation, right? Trump has already said that he supports a nationwide abortion ban, um, and and this is his fault because he very proudly touts the fact that he overturned Roe v. Wade. And because of the Supreme Court justices that he appointed and the fall of Roe, now states have the ability to pass these draconian laws. And we have no idea how far it's going to go. And that's what's absolutely terrifying. And how messed up is the Republican Party over this issue? Um, Matthew Iglesias reports for Bloomberg News. And on social media, he dug this up. Uh, Steve Daines who is a senator who is advising other Republican senators or Republican Senate candidates to clearly say they don't want to ban IVF. Steve Daines co-sponsored an IVF ban that he wanted heard in the Senate, Senate Bill 99. Because, yeah, let's just go more and more and more against women. Oh, wait, women don't like that? <gasps> Even Republican women don't like it. Oh, my gosh. Put on the brakes. Make a U-turn. Me? Sponsor Senate Bill 99 that would ban IVF? I don't know who you're talking about. I'm telling anybody running for Senate who's a Republican, they better get out there and talk about how they are so supportive of in vitro fertilization. I have gotten a little wrapped up in this issue, and I am past my childbearing years, but I feel like my generation, whether or not we are Democrats or Republicans, our generation let this thing, let this whole political world just, we, it went to hell on our watch, and I apologize to all the women of childbearing age, I apologize to all the young women who now have fewer rights than they were born with. We will still fight the good fight and see if we can turn this around. Um, like I said, I got so wrapped up in this issue and sharing some of this stuff with you that I forgot to tell you it's Friday. <laughs> maybe, maybe you already knew that. But remember what we do on Fridays? We open up the phone lines the, you can phone in, you can text in, and uh, the first half of this show today is uh, going to be not just simply what I think is important, the stories of the day, the stories of the week, but what you would like to talk about. 773 9278. You can call me on that line and talk to me on the radio. Um, and you can also send me a text. Um, <laughs> I've already uh, gotten a couple of texts about the IVF thing. And may I just say that people are being very clear and very blunt. Uh, they also point out the fact that while 
legislators keep going after women, nobody, nobody's going after the guys. Nobody's going after the guys in any way, shape, or form. Have you read the latest article that it's um, possible that um, taking Viagra actually helps your brain function? Yeah, you have a better memory, better cognitive function. (sighs) Uh, But contraception, that's something that really ought to be reconsidered. Yeah, that contraception, that IVF, abortion, you know? Those women, those pesky women, we've got to make sure they know their place, don't you think? 773-763-9278. Please call me. The lovely and talented Paul Shavari is waiting to speak with you. Um, As usual, my first caller of every Friday, Jim is calling in from Chicago. Hey, Jim. Hi, Joan. Uh, I hope you're doing fine. Yeah, I've been eavesdropping on Republican and religious radio, and they all concur in the same thing. Any vote for a Democrat is a ticket to the darkest part of Hades. You're on your way to Hades if you vote Democratic. Now, this is ginned up by, you know, the Koch brothers, the Federalist Society, all the Republican think tanks, especially the red states, but they are relying heavily on this religious vote to, uh, especially when primaries, but to try. But can you imagine Trump and his family? They're supposed to be the uh, the example of Christianity <laughs> in the country. And uh, whatever religion you want to choose. But it's just, I mean, how they can, uh, they got the same drumbeat, you know, over and over and over again. Mm-hmm. And they don't mention the fact that they're being influenced by a small minority of billionaires that are, are steering their vote. And all I can say is Democratic radio, as far as I can see, played much fairer. I mean, they, they really rely on your vote is sacrosanct, and that's uh, your decision. That's your conscience that you're voting mm-hmm. when you go to the voting booth. And that's the way I was raised anyway. And I was going to say another thing, Joan. You're getting, if I can be a little personal, you're getting funnier and funnier as the weeks go along to this <laughs> because your material is so crazy to begin with, but you can make light of it. And I really get a kick out of it. I, I bust out laughing a couple of times when I just need it. I said, she's getting funnier and funnier. <laughs> so you some some less joke. kind folks, Jim, might say she gets loonier and loonier as the week goes on. Which is oh, a, I, you know, well, that's a just I I can't disagree necessarily, but you know this stuff okay. is so crazy, and you know I start to feel by Friday sometimes I feel like my eyes are bleeding and my ears are bleeding, and you know. I know, so and not only that, but you can have a third career as a comedian writer <laughs> after you're done with this. Yeah. You know, you've conquered TV and radio. You got to go on to comedy. <laughs> anyway, Joe, you you have a great weekend. You have a great weekend, Joe. Take care. Take care. Uh, thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you, Jim. Uh, yeah. Uh, I if I ever do do a stand up gig, I'll make sure Jim's there. Probably just be me and Jim. But you know what? That that's okay as long as we enjoy each other. Um, we are going to take a break. Remember, it is Friday, and you have the next hour. 
to text me. And just as a reminder, Bob, Greg, and you know, you know, guys who know you are, the texts, I will give the gist of what you're texting in. If you are a little blue, shall we say, or I don't know. Um, anyway, um, people often feel very unrestrained and free when they use our text line. And you know what? Uh, it's okay. I understand you got events somewhere, right? Huh. 773-763-9278. We will talk more right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And we are back, and we have a number of callers. Uh, I do still have some um, sound bites that I want to share with you when we get the opportunity about little news stories that I found interesting. But first, we must go to our Indiana correspondent. Bobby is there to bring us all the latest Indiana news. Hello, Bobby. Oh, oh good Lord Almighty. Hey, Joni, as soon as we passed the uh, reparations for slavery legislation, the very next day, we must pass uh, reparations for all of us who have had to live through the Trump debacle years. Oh, at least they should pay my therapy bills, right? Oh my! Oh, geez, at the minimum, <laughs> at the very minimum, I I agree, I agree, but and I know, think uh, we should insist that the worst offenders, uh, Lindsey Graham, uh, Tommy Tuberville, um, that they that it uh, they come out of their campaign coffers. If Donald Trump can raise campaign funds or solicit funds to pay his legal bills, I think we should be able to get campaign funds to pay our therapy bills. Oh, and it's, uh, I love, you probably have heard um, Stephanie Miller's name for Mr. Tupperware. Oh, Ray was just telling me that, but I've blanked on it. What is it again? Okay, she bleeps herself, but it's Senator Football McDumbf. Ah, ah. You can she, figure out what the F. Mm, yeah, I have. A, I have a rough idea of what that yeah. stands for. Mm-hmm. But I mean, it's, it's perfect for that clown. But uh, I have been paying it, and up until very recently. Uh, Taylor Swift, the name meant nothing to me. <laughs> well, I can't imagine in why. My world, <laughs> in my world, it just didn't, uh, you know. Mm-hmm. But then all of a sudden, every right winger is just tearing their hair out and jumping up <sighs> and down at the Taylor Swift. Mm. Do, you know how old, do you know how old she is? I think she's 34. That old? Yeah, I they a picture on, on a magazine, and I look. I said, "They're they're all upset about this 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 little punk kid." Yeah, that's what she looks like anyway. And I'm saying, I'm saying, my God, and and uh, but she does have a major problem. What I, I come to find out, 
And yeah. if she's as smart as I think she is, she'll keep that problem because what what it is 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 they're raving largely over the fact that she is all the things they profess to be but never were and never can and never will be. Yeah. She's actually she's actually a decent human being who happens to be rich and out of the 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 goodness of her heart and kindness wants to use it to help her money to help people of all yeah. ungodly things. Yeah, and what they're really afraid of is um she a while back told all of her followers on social media that they should register to vote and thousands of young people registered to vote after she I guess she posted like a link of where you could go to register to vote and thousands tens of thousands of young people registered to vote and Republicans are terrified that she that if she endorses whether it's Joe Biden or any other Democrat, that that will that that will sway those young voters to vote for whomever Taylor wants them to vote for. And, you know, considering what we hear from Hollywood all the time, um, you know, whether it's the singers or whether it's actors, many of whom speak out on social and political issues all the time. She's been very quiet, you know. They're so afraid. I, I think part of, of this whole campaign against her is to intimidate her into staying quiet. I, I really do well, believe that I there's a dark edge it. to I this. I hope she does it. I hope she keeps on doing what she's doing. Uh-huh. And uh, if, if uh, you know, if a, if, if, if a, if a, a little punk kid who makes bad wardrobe choices can do that. Can you imagine what a grown skirt and heels lady with an attitude who gives these right-wingers the evil eye as she's taking off her earrings? Can you imagine them just falling dead in heaps (laughs) at that side of that? So, So, Joni, are you up to that job? Hell yes. I thought fine. Do I accept the high heels? My feet hurt. I I can't wear high heels anymore. So except for that, I'll be that person, but she'll be wearing flats. (laughs) Well, we'll let you, we'll let you, uh, we'll only, we'll only make you wear heels briefly to do the kicking. Okay. Okay. Oh yeah. Stilettos. They're really good for that. They can do some serious damage. And then, then after that, we'll get you the nicest sneaker. No Trump, no Trump sneakers. We'll get you good quality stuff. Oh, by the way, Ray was telling me because I saw vaguely that he was, you know, at sneaker con and he was selling shoes. And I didn't, pay, you know, I don't. I try not to pay any attention to stuff that he does. Um, Ray told me that people who are buying the sneakers are actually only able to pre-order the sneakers they're being told that they won't be delivered for six to eight months 
yeah, I heard something about that. Well, now, wait a minute. Stop and think about it. Would you go to anything that Trump's at, at selling shoes called Sneaker Con? <laughs> oh, think God. about that. I, 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 I hadn't. Oh, Bobby, I hadn't put that together, but I am yeah, ever yeah. grateful for you to, for putting it together for me. Well, just just watch yourself, kiddo. I will, but, yeah. at all times. So, but in the meantime, have a nice weekend. Will you do that for me? I absolutely will have a wonderful, that's wonderful I'm gonna, that's weekend. That's all I'm going to ask of you. That's okay. all I'm going to ask of you. All right. Thank you, Bobby, and thank you so much for the for the call. Uh, I appreciate that. Uh, let's go. Uh, let's go to Logan Square. Gus is on the phone. Hello, Gus. How you doing, Joan? I'm doing good. How uh, are you? Uh, cautiously optimistic, actually. I saw my name on the ballot for uh, delegate. Tell all your friends and all the listeners in the third district to punch twenty-seven. Okay. Who are you a delegate for? Uh, believe it, believe it or not, it's for Marianne Williamson because the Biden thing got full. You you mean I don't? She's not running anymore. You know that, yeah, right? I could still, uh, yeah, but I'll still be a delegate at large. Might uh, go to Biden anyway, but I figure this is for 2028. Oh, so the list was full, so you had to go to somebody else yeah. to and try I, to get yeah, in. And you know what? You, yeah, and you know what? I met her and I liked her, so. But that's not what I wanted. To, well, wanted to talk about besides this crazy decision going on with uh, the Alabama court. I don't know if your listeners are familiar. There's a case before the U.S. Supreme Court. They want to get rid of the Chevron decision. And if you make a long story short, that's the policy which sets that basically government agencies have the right to. You know, mm-hmm. regulate everything from air pollution, consumer products. Yes. Right now, it, it questions it like they might. It, anybody could bring a law. Well, remember that lawsuit that was brought against the FDA because they wanted to get rid of abortion pills? And they and they said, well, yes. uh, the FDA didn't study it enough. So we want uh, to pull the FDA approval from this. They wanted to make sure they wanted to try to get abortion pills off the off the market. And it would be that writ large. I was talking to a Supreme Court expert uh, last week, and that was one right. of the cases I wanted to ask about, but I ran out of time. The interview was over before I could get it. Um, Gus is absolutely right. This is a case to watch. And if the Supreme Court, um, if they if they rule uh, a certain way, it will mean basically anybody can file suit to thwart any yep. government regulations. You don't like um, yep. you got a coal mine. You don't like what the EPA mm-hmm. has um, has mm-hmm. ruled about coal or air pollution. Sue them. Yep. Sue them and say that, you know, the regulation was wrong and it should be taken off the books. This It will be yep. chaos if they OK this. That, it'll be mm-hmm. chaos. Oh, yeah. And like I said, because uh, I called a couple weeks ago. When they talk about, uh, I had a neighbor, he was voting for the first time because, yeah, besides what happened with the Dodds decision, the Clean Air and the Clean Water Act getting gutted, this just further puts salt on the wounds. And then literally, we're like basically back to the 19th century, where mm-hmm. literally any consumer product could kill you and the government can't do anything about it. I mean, they're getting rid of the very state. I mean, it's literally Ron Paul's wish list come true. Mm-hmm. 
But I hate to say that's why I'm optimistic, because all these crazy decisions made by state and the federal Supreme Court are actually basically making people angry and finally getting up to vote. And, you know, it's I think the the U.S. Supreme Court also has to start paying attention to the bigger picture here, because if after 2024, if we have a Democratic Senate, a Democratic House and a Democratic president, I think the Supreme the members of the U.S. Supreme Court should be very nervous because I think court reform is going to be one of the top priorities of the next four years. Well, not just reform, one besides packing the court with President Roosevelt wanted to do. Seriously, um, uh, Justice Thomas, Justice Alito, some of these guys should be looked at for impeachment or forced retirement at minimum. And, you know, what was interesting from one history source that I read about FDR, FDR uh, talked about and actually because the Supreme Court then was kept thwarting all of his New Deal measures that he wanted to put in place. And he started talking about expanding the court. He was going yep. to water down that a majority that kept thwarting him. And you know what? He didn't have to actually act on it because all yeah. of a sudden the rulings started to go the other way because they did not want to have more members of the court. They did not what? want to have their power lessened. And they saw what? it coming. They saw that it had the support to pass. So whether or not Biden actually does it, I think just the effort and the public effort behind um, a move to do it would have an incredible effect on this court. Oh, no, I've been to a couple of community meetings with some civics groups, and they've talked about how can they lobby the House and the Senate and what can they do at the local level to expand the court. Because it's true, it's completely constitutional. We started out with five justices. Now we're at nine for a brief moment. We had 10. So the mm-hmm. Constitution yeah. can't criticize that. It's yeah. within the right to expand the court. Oh, sure. I mean, I'm sure everybody would be up in arms about it and Republicans would use it as a big talking point. But, yeah, we've the court has not always been nine. It's been moving around the whole time. It's mm-hmm. been in existence up, down, all around. Thanks. Thanks so much for the call, Gus. I, I really am glad you brought that up. Like I said, it was something I was planning to talk about and I ran out of time. So that is an important one. We're going to keep um, an eye on. Thank you uh, for the call. Not a problem. Pleasure. Pleasure to call. It's a pleasure to listen to the show as always. And punch 27. for, for <laughs> Thanks, Gus. Um, we're going to take a break. Uh, we will be back right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. We have a lot of people waiting to talk today. Let's get to it. Let's go to Evanston right now. Lee is calling in from Evanston. Hey, Lee, how are you? I'm pretty good. Uh, Interesting day. Uh, You're talking about the reform of the Supreme Court. I've been doing a lot of research on what those boys have been doing. And... uh, let me just lay it out quickly. In 1971, a fellow named Lewis Powell wrote a memo to tell the corporations how to take control of the government back from the people because the people were getting the EPA and the EEOC passed, and corporations really didn't like that stuff. So one of the four sections of their memo was missed opportunities in the court. Well, we see what happens after this uh, memo told these corporations that the missed opportunities were in the court. 
Because from 1980 until today, the Republicans have had the majority control, so they've been able to decide every case based on what they wanted it to be. And the number of books that have come out that have described their work are very interesting. This is a few titles. Supreme Inequality, the Supreme Court's 50-year battle for a more unjust America. The case against the Supreme Court is a right-wing route. What the Roberts Five decisions tells us about the integrity of today's Supreme Court. I mean, it just goes on and on. Obviously, these guys have been committing fraud. And uh, it's come to the fore recently um, in the pre-clearance ruling on the um, uh, voting rights amendment that was uh, I'm sorry, the Voting Rights Act that was passed to keep Republican uh, states from suppressing the black vote. They set up a preclearance factor, which meant any one of these states has been uh, keeping black people off the ballot will have to have any voting laws that they passed sent to the, Supreme, to the Department of Justice and have them make sure it's clean before it gets enacted. And so, you know, all these states would uh, try to get these uh, black votes uh, off of their ballot or off of their elections. And the Department of Justice say, well, we'll just keep it on our desk here for a couple of decades. <laughs> uh, so uh, Roberts came out with a ruling, uh, Shelby County versus Holder, where he said, well, we don't need the preclearance anymore because... Those Republican states are no longer suppressing the black vote. So we're going to nullify it. Well, when he nullified it on his uh, ruling, uh, Justice Ginsburg said in her, quote, dissent, hey, Justice Ginsburg, uh, Justice Roberts, you're not, we're not, you're not uh, telling us that we don't need it. You're telling us that it works. <laughs> no yeah. wonder we don't have any suppression. Yeah. Amen to that. She, she even came up with a story saying, you know, it's like you standing in a rainstorm with an umbrella over your head and saying, well, I don't need the umbrella because I'm not getting wet. <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, Lee, thank you. I, I've got a bunch fraud, of callers. I, I got to keep moving, but thank you for uh, calling and sharing that anecdote. Ruth Bader Ginsburg was always one uh, to be very pointed in her remarks, and I love that anecdote. Thanks for calling in, Lee. Uh, appreciate it. Uh, let's go to Debbie, who is on the line from Old Town. Hey, Debbie, how are you? Hey, Joan. I'm, I'm great. How are you? Thank so you for far, taking so good. my call. <laughs> yeah. Friday. Yay, you made it through another week. Um, we all did. Um, I was wondering what you had heard or, or what you knew about the information that George Soros is taking over some radio stations. Um, he, uh, yeah, his company, um, has taken a major shareholder interest in Odyssey that, uh, uh, is a big conglomerate of radio stations that recently went into bankruptcy here in Chicago, uh, news radio, BBM, AM and FM, XRT, uh, country station, WUSN, I believe those, there might be a fifth one, but those four are definitely Odyssey uh, radio stations. 
Well, it's perfect timing. I hope I hope he gets on it right away. Well, you know, it's interesting, Debbie. I was thinking about that because um, those stations, you know, with the overall company, a lot of the big radio conglomerates like iHeartRadio, even though they appear to be really successful, they've taken on so much debt that apparently the whole chain is hanging by a thread. And that's what these big radio conglomerates have done. And honestly... George Soros obviously is a Democrat, but he's also a businessman. And I honestly don't know if he has done this because he wants to use some of these radio stations to spread, uh, to, to counteract against conservative radio, or whether he's just doing this because it's a good business opportunity. I haven't, you know, everybody always assumes anything associated with Soros is progressive or democratic, but I haven't seen anything one way or the other as to um, what he plans to do. Because, I mean, XRT's got a great following. A BBM, uh, AM and FM, is beloved. And, you know, um, WUSN, I believe they're pretty successful in their format. So unless he, you know, wants to change somebody's format um, to political talk, it seems almost more like a business investment than an investment in uh, political radio, at least from what I've read so far. Maybe Maybe I'm wrong. Maybe he wants to acquire us and infuse a whole bunch of money into us. And make me rich. Well, <laughs> I hope you're right. Absolutely. Me too. And I just, I just want to make one quick point. Um, originally, when the courts were put together, the Supreme Court was put together. Wasn't it supposed to be like one justice per per district? So they had the number was equal to the amount of districts that we had, and we're up to what twelve districts right now. And we have not kept up with the number that our original framers were kind of basing it all on. You know, I don't I'm not um, up on the origins of the Supreme Court or the, um, you know, the the rules and the legislation that it was drawn up under and operates under. I can't really I can't really I can't really speak to that. I need to get a good historian on the air with me. Again, if, if anybody out there um, knows of a really good historian, political historian would be especially great. But um, I have a lot of experts that I love talking to, um, and I, I need to add a historian into the mix. We need to know the underpinnings of some of these institutions that um, we have questions about. Any, any suggestions, Debbie? Well... <laughs> Um, I, there's some great ones out there. I have no idea, but, um, there's really some great ones out there. And I believe that to be true. It wasn't put into as a law, but I think it was what the court was originally based on, you know, the representation that it was originally based on. And, um, I'd be curious to know for sure, because we have not kept up with it, and I think that was one of the arguments for um, adding more people to the court. Not only that it's not, you know, a law as to how many it should get, but that it was not keeping up with the amount of district courts that we had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that would we be need curious, to, you know. Yeah. You know, I'm sort of... I'm sort of limited by the amount of time I have every day. I can barely keep up with what's going on day to day. 
And as you, I've you discovered an amazing in, job. Well, thank you. But when I have discussions, even with political science professors, you know, it's like sometimes you need to make reference to things that have gone before. Um, you know, earlier yeah. in the week, I spoke to author Jacob Heilbrunn, and he's written a book about how the right, the real right conservative movement in this country has always flirted with fascism. And, you know, he's talking about a World War One and World War Two, And it's always I always feel a little smarter after I finish talking to somebody like that who can share their expertise with me and, and the listeners. I will work on that. Thank you for the suggestion, Debbie. Thank you so much for taking my call, and you have a wonderful weekend. You do too. Something good for your, do something good for yourself. <laughs> well, I did have an, I fixed myself an ice cream sundae last night, and so that's, I think I have to, I have to not be quite so good to myself for the rest of the weekend. Um, but I'll take it <laughs> okay, under advisement. There's, there's more ice cream left. Um, <laughs> get a massage. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, I would like to real quick uh, give a a lot of our listeners, um, well, first of all, um, keep trying. Some of our listeners have been calling in and saying that they've been having a hard time getting through on the phone lines. Um, we we have a lot of phone lines, but we also have a lot of callers, so please keep trying. Uh, we are not purposely uh, ignoring some of you, okay? 773-763. Nine two seven eight seven seven three seven six three nine two seven eight. We are going to take a break for news and be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT eight twenty. It is Friday, and as I told you, every Friday we open up the phone lines to talk about the news of the day and the news of the week. And guess who we have on the phone lines? Patty Vasquez <laughs> is here. Yay! Ah, uh, Joan, I need to be calling in more often. I yeah. have to tell you, I, I like sometimes you're having conversations. I'm like, I need to keep talking about that topic. You have such great guests and conversations. Favorite, but I love your show. So Thank I'm you. a fan. This is I'm, I'm nervous. Hey, hey, I was uh, talking yesterday about uh, a big event you emceed in lovely Kenosha, Wisconsin, for Lorenzo Santos. Tell us about that. How'd it go? Oh, it was so much fun. We got to interview folks who are running for the Kenosha County Board, for their uh, their school boards. Uh, we met candidates who have been either serving for a, a long time. You know, we see all these videos of disruptions at school board meetings and county, and county board meetings. When you talk to those folks and, like, the energy that they have to hold together in order to sit through some of the public comments and meeting people who are inspired by whether it's, you know, what's going on politically or things in their lives. We met one woman named Sabrina who has a, a child with severe disabilities, and she's like, there's not enough people on our school boards who know what families like mine go through. So she's running. Mm-hmm. So we met some great candidates across the board. Uh, really, I'm um, inspired. Oh, a young woman, you've got to, you know who you need to talk to is uh, Def, Dr. Steph Nez. She, she's a professor at Northwestern. She lives in Kenosha. She was inspired by what Governor Walker was doing back with taking back, you know, really peeling back labor rights about, what, 10 years ago. 
Um, it was amazing, Joan. I was I was so inspired by the people who were running for office in Wisconsin. And then Lorenzo Santos was fantastic. You know, gave us the entire uh, platform for his campaign. Uh, inspired people to get out there and. and door knock and donate money. It was, it was wonderful and a great comedy show to boot. So we're hoping to do this again. We want to go to Missouri. We talked to Jess Piper with the Dirt Road Dems. We want to go to Iowa. Just I'm trying to, I want to blow it all up, Joan. That's what I'm saying. You should do that. I've never heard of the Dirt Road Dems. Who are they, Patty? Oh, Jess Piper uh, lives in Missouri, and she ran for state rep and wasn't successful, but she believes that every seat needs to be challenged. I mean, I think that a lot of people are starting to see that it's these local elections from the school board to state rep and state senator where your life is really directly impacted. You know, I know you and I have been really going on uh, a, just a blaze of anger and this IVF decision in Alabama. Oh. and. I know, because every step of the way, it's the state legislatures. You know, when I talked to some journalism students that went to the Iowa caucuses, and I asked them, what are people concerned about? And they said immigration, because, of course, the Republicans are hammering away at how they're going to replace us. And the other was the economy. But, you know, in Iowa, their minimum wage is $7.25, and that's entirely because of their local electeds, because they won't do anything to help working-class people. But anyway, Jess Piper, you've got to talk to her. She's amazing. She runs okay. the, the uh, yeah, she has a podcast. Uh, she, she, her, her mission is to make sure every seat is challenged across the state of Missouri. That's wonderful. Amazing. She sounds yeah, like a, she fantastic. sounds like a great guest. So how um, um, was, did, um, was it like the wisdoms that, that organized this thing you were out in Kenosha? Was it the candidate himself? Both. It was uh, the Kenosha, the Kenosha Dems, and the Lorenzo uh, Santos Dems, and then we coordinated with uh, putting together the comedy, the comedy show. Dwayne Kennedy, who I have on my show regularly, and Dina Nina Martinez, who's the first trans woman to, to serve in the city council of mm-hmm. Madison, Wisconsin. And uh, so we coordinated. We got the uh, the Kenosha Comedy Club. The Frank, the owner there, who's amazing. Uh, he he uh, provided the room. Uh, the hotel was great. The Wyndham Hotel was wonderful. Oh my! And Joan, we had fans there. Uh, Judy and Bud, who live in Wisconsin, love listening to you every day, and they love my show. And and uh, like we reach places that we don't we don't even realize until we get to go yeah. to events like I went to last night where. It really makes a difference to know that we're here and having these conversations and that, and a lot of people aren't, they're not feeling alone as they tend to be when you hear that cacophony of conservative talk and, and all the Fox News stuff. And you go to a cafe in conservative areas and you'll hear them talk about how Trump is still president and it's just a matter of time before oh. he takes over again. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh, that happens. It's crazy. Yeah. Um, well, yeah. I'm so glad it was a. It sounded like it was going to be such a hoot and a half. I'm. Um, yeah. I'm and I would. I, anytime, anytime you do any political stuff like this, please let me know. I'd be happy to, um, you know, talk about it on the air and promote it. And hopefully, if it's something that our listenership. My understanding is that our signal reaches southwest Michigan, northern Indiana, most of northern Illinois, southern Wisconsin, and I don't know about west of there, but we've got a pretty good reach here. Yeah. Yeah, I agree. And and again, you, well, it was when I was in Indiana, um, I met some folks who listened to the show, but that's what I'm talking about. I was in a coffee shop in Columbus, Indiana. 
and they were, they were talking about how, remember you've heard of these things that there's a, a sound stage in California and that's really where Biden, like there's a, an actor who's playing Biden. Like I heard that the whole cafe was talking about that. So that's why we, we decided to book uh, for Monday's show. We have Professor Barry Maurer on to talk about uh, Trump supporters suffering from induced delusional disorder. And I know you and I have covered this before, but <laughs> yeah. we're going to get some more experts in because we have to be reminded that we're not crazy. This is, this is yes. insanity, what's happening. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, when you've got yeah. even Nikki Haley telling audiences this oh. is not normal, then, you know, yeah. uh-huh. Yeah, but yeah, but then she says that, that, you know, IVF, the IVF decision by Alabama was a good one, and that six-day-old cell, look, do you know how many embryos we might have shed? I mean, every woman, at some, like so many women might be pregnant not know. Like, can we all, I'm sorry, I'm going to go on a rant about this IVF thing. It makes me crazy, Joan. I just can't take it. It's insane. Oh, oh uh, hey, right right there with you. <laughs> right there with you. I'm absolutely and and horrified by this. And I, I don't know, I'm sure you saw the thing in the Washington Post today about uh, the committee that advises Republican senators and those who wish to be Republican senators is telling them in no uncertain terms, do not condemn IVF, say that you support IVF, because everybody thinks IVF is a great thing, you know, except for maybe Alabama. Right. Well, well, there, there are some limits because the technology is still evolving. But, you know, when they were doing this 20, 30 years ago, they were taking up to 30 to 40 eggs from women, right, and then inseminating them. They're never, no woman is ever going to have 30 to 40, never, never going to be able to do that. So what happens then? Do we, the dystopian future that we seem to be looking at of forcibly, what, implanting these embryos so that we're not destroying that life? Like, that's a real possibility if Trump wins, folks. Yeah. Yeah. And I also, even though he's saying he supports IVF, um, I don't believe Donald Trump for a minute. Frankly, I don't even believe any of the Republicans who say they support it, because if the wind, if they perceive that the wind is blowing in a different direction, they are yeah. going to not only um, change their stance, but they're going to tell they're going to tell all of us that they never supported it. You're wrong. I never right. said I never said I was in support of it. No, not me. No, they gaslit us for 50 years. As soon as Roe v. Wade was, was decided in the 70s, we've had candidates running for the Supreme Court or in the committee in the hearing saying, no, it's settled law of the land. It's established law. There's precedent. Mm-hmm. And here we are. Here we are. And I almost swore. I apologize. That's what happens <laughs> on the <microphone. laughs> Well, Paul's back at the studio, and if it's you and me talking, I'm sure he's standing there with his hand hovering over the kill switch. (laughs) Oh, I sometimes do my whole show, but my hand is over the dump button. (laughs) Okay, all right. Well, thanks for calling in uh, and giving us an update. Always a pleasure to talk with you. Oh, I love you, Joan, and thank you for the support. Yes, I, I will definitely let you know it with more advance notice if I do one of these again. So okay. we plan on it, I promise. Thank Sounds you. good. Okay, take, take care. care. Happy- um, we actually still have uh, callers who want to join the conversation. Let's take a quick break and get back to them right after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is Friday, and the first half of the show, we always take your calls and find out what you want to talk about, what was important to you. Uh, let's go to Stephanie, who's calling in from Thornton Township. Hey, Stephanie, thanks for calling in today. You know, we had a 
had that big outage with AT&T yesterday. Yes. Now, we're talking about not having monopolies no more. This is what happens when you have monopolies. The little town I live in is 60 miles south of Chicago, about 2,000 people in the township and about 400 people in the village. Now, the only phone company out here is AT&T. And so they were on Facebook and stuff telling people that if you have an emergency, run next door to your neighbor. So I'm having a heart attack. I'm supposed to jump up and run next door to call 911 because they got Verizon or something. So <laughs> yeah. the north and the south in Illinois need to get together because what's happening with the GOP is against all of us. Yes, it you is. Know, I know the south said the north get everything, we get nothing. The problem is that they got us fighting each other. And we have to stop that. So How uh, do we how do we do that? How do we how do we do that, Stephanie? What's your suggestion? Learn, we meet together and we talk. Now, because we all understand one thing, we're trying to take care of our families and eat and just live. Uh, if they would understand us, we would understand them. Because I've talked with a lot of people, from, and when you sit down and look at each other in the eyes, then understand that we're more like Michelle Obama. We're more alike than not. Then we can understand, you know. Because I live in a town where you can don't have to close your door. So Chicago gets more money for police because they got tons and tons of people with all kind of issues, and you have to lock your door. So whereas. We're upset that they're getting this, that, and the other. We don't need it because we have towns that are safer. Yeah. And so people don't want to have the conversation. Somebody, my mayor down here has forced NICOR into the village by lying and telling them that 97% of the people wanted natural gas. We did a referendum where 92% of the people wanted um, renewable energy. But he got... Now, the rest of the state is spending $8 million to give us gas we don't want. So we really have to, and you know what? We foiled to look for his survey. It don't exist. He lied. So he went really? all, the way to Springfield, all the way to Springfield, and the governor and everybody down, he's talking about, this, you know, this village has never had gas because propane is dangerous. It ain't no more dangerous than... Uh, it's not any more dangerous than uh, gas. As a matter of fact, it's less dangerous because none of the houses that have propane are attached to each other. So my propane tank blows up and don't blow up your house. <laughs> you know, so, I mean, but we need to sit and talk to understand. Uh, and I think what we need to do is have some more where we meet together and see where we can meet in the middle. Right now, where I live, it has the largest concentration of black farmers in the north of the Mason-Dixon line. We need to feed the Chicago desert. Yeah. No question about that. And and the governor came down here for us to do that. But we got black people talking about farming for slaves. So, uh, So it's just a lack of understanding, a lack of knowing, looking at people in the eyes. I don't know how we can, if we can have some... Type of a every year or two have a couple of years where we have the North and South come together, have a forum, see what we can help the South, see what they can well, help. Well, you know, Stephanie, isn't that what's supposed to happen when the Republican and the Democrat and the Southern and the Northern senators and Congress people meet? It isn't. You know, you're talking about something that 
is a good suggestion, but it's going to have to happen because the people we count on to have those conversations, north to south, Republican to Democrat, progressive to conservative, the people who should be having those conversations seem utterly incapable of it. So, you know, because I agree with is, you. Uh, then it must be on our sh- our shoulders to get this done. It is. It's on our shoulders because the politicians are being bought. And we know that they're being bought and sold, you know, by the case, huh. you know, by these big companies. And, 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 you know, just like they said, you know, you got, you know, people buying up whole radio stations from thousands of them, hundreds. Um, we we shouldn't have to sit down here. And not have phone for 24 hours because one company owns our town. Yeah, I I agree. And in, I know in the beginning, in the beginning, like when cable TV licenses were being given out, the feeling was that it was going to be so expensive to lay this cable that companies had to get territories that were just for them because otherwise it wouldn't make any sense for them to make the investment and have to compete. But that was then and this is now. And I think I think the playing field has changed. And I I, I agree with you. Stephanie, I got to I got to move on. I'm going to try to get everybody in before we have to wrap up. But thank you so much for the call. Uh, let's go back to the phone lines. Uh, Ron is calling in from Chicago. Yes, uh, there are uh, more than uh, 24 million naturalized citizens here, and you know, people from foreign countries who come here and pass the requirements to become a citizen. And one of Trump's plans is to deport all these people. And even though he wants to have Tim Scott as his roommate, he, he really has a... Uh, deep fear and hatred of foreigners and minorities. He absolutely does. Not only does he want to have massive deportations, uh, he's even said that he would get the military involved to conduct these massive deportations. And he also wants to have, um, well, he's not calling them concentration camps, but he wants to create uh, camps where uh, people could could be held. Uh, exactly who is going to be taken to those camps is a little unclear right now. Um, but this is, you know, this is the guy who's doing the revenge and retribution tour. So, you know, anybody, God knows, probably all the anchors at MSNBC are going to end up in one of those camps. In yeah, relocation camps. Uh-huh. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, also President Biden, uh, he called Russia as uh, Vladimir Putin a crazy SOB, and we have a few of those over here. Yeah. Yeah. Joe Biden getting a little spicy these days um, with his with his language. Um, But you know what? I don't object to that. Um, I think that one of the things that people have always liked about Trump, sure, he's very politically incorrect. But you get the feeling that he's really passionate, even though I think it's an act. You get the feeling he's really passionate about what he says. And I think when, you know, certainly there are going there are going to be people who are offended and say that, you know, as a president, he should be taking the high road. But I think when especially when it's not like he's saying that at the podium, you know, he's saying that behind closed doors and it's being repeated. But. You know, I think it reminds people that um, 
that he's a very passionate guy. Because I don't think that always, in his public appearances, I don't think that that always comes across. Uh, and I think that this is a good way to convey to people that he's very, very passionate. Because that's, you know, if you're passionate, you're, you know, you really are on top of something. And I think it's, it's a way to counter this whole he's too old, you know, um, the fact that, you know, he's, he's able to speak so freely behind closed doors. I think it's a smart move. I think it's a calculated move to release these kinds of uh, statements. And I think it's a smart move. I think so, too. Okay. Thank you very much. Thanks. Thank you, Ron. Uh, Really appreciate it. Um, I've been, um, I forgot, as as always, you guys are more up on things often than I am. Um, I forgot that the score is also 670 AM Sports Radio, the score is an Odyssey station. One of um, one of our listeners was talking about that they'd heard that a Democratic fundraiser and supporter George Soros had recently bought radio stations, and um, he bought, or he didn't buy entirely. He is uh, about to become the major, the single largest investor in Odyssey. Um, but the stations that they have in Chicago are not political. So I don't know whether, again, as I said before, I don't know whether this is simply a business move on the part of his company or um, whether maybe, you know, whether he plans to change anybody's format. It was publicly announced that we are going to be WCPT. We are going to be. Um, morphed into a non-profit station under new ownership. Also, um, um, very political partisan ownership, so our mission is not going to change. Um, and I don't think, frankly, that you, the listener, will see much or hear much difference in in what we do. The commercials might sound a little different. They might sound a little bit more like, what you hear on WBEZ, you know, maybe rather than flat-out commercials, though I hear BEZ now just runs flat-out commercials. At first, you know, everything was a sponsorship. You know, this program is sponsored by Kraft Foods. Uh, so I don't know if you'll fe- you'll hear a difference in our uh, commercial breaks, but I think that um, that we will sound exactly the same. We will have the same folks behind the microphone. Um, as we as we make the changeover, that's going to be many, many months uh, coming. This isn't going to happen uh, in the next few days. It's not going to happen in the next few weeks. And maybe, maybe by the end of summer, I don't know, because uh, a lot of regulatory stuff has to be approved. Uh, but we're going to change to a nonprofit in uh, probably before 2024 is out. What difference does that make to to you? None, none at all. <laughs> same bat channel, same bat folks. We are going to be uh, taking a break, and um, it is time for that palate cleanser that we bring to you on the occasional Friday when you're very lucky to be tuned in. We are going to be um, doing Pet of the Month, and we have a brand new Pet of the Month. Their name is Lexi. And um, we are going to be joined by Craig Bodagowski from Mark Drugs and Tracy Elliott from Anti-Cruelty 
to talk about all kinds of things that have to do with shelters and adoptions and our new dog, Lexi. And then after that, I'm very pleased to be welcome, welcome back. Uh, somebody, if you're really a long-time listener, you know he used to be a fill-in host here. Uh, Daniel Biss, who is now the mayor of Evanston, is going to be joining us. And after that, we're going to wrap up our day today with uh, State Representative LaShawn Ford, who represents uh, Illinois' 8th District. So we do have a little bit of a pet palate cleanser coming up, and then we will get back into it with politics. Um, I am going to keep the phone lines open. Probably won't take any calls uh, unless you really want to talk about adoption. May not take any calls during Pet of the Month. If you want to talk about adoption, we could. Um, but in the last hour of the show, we're going back to politics. And you can always call in anytime we're talking politics. Let's take a break. We'll be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. It is uh, our one fun Friday where we talk about adoption and we focus on a pet of the month. Our pet of the month is a beautiful girl by the name of Lexi. Uh, well, let's see. What can I tell you about Lexi? Um, she likes to play. Uh, she likes her giggle ball. And we're going to have to ask Tracy Elliott what the heck a giggle ball is. <laughs> And she does well with other dogs as long as they're relatively calm. And um, let's get the let's get more details on this uh, for our usual pet of the month segment. Uh, it is sponsored by Craig Bodagowski, who is with Mark Drugs in Deerfield and Roselle. They're a compounding pharmacy, so any medicine you need for your pet, you can get there. And if you've got a medicine that just tastes really awful, they can help fix that, too. And Tracy Elliott, president and CEO of Anti-Cruelty, are both here. Welcome, guys. Thanks for being here. Hi, Joan. Hi, Joan. Thank you. Thank you. Hey, Tracy, are you feeling better? Uh, You have been under the weather a couple of times pretty severely this winter, my friend. Yeah, I don't sound like it, but I actually am back to 100%. I just still have a little bit of uh, congestion in the throat, but I am. Thank you for asking. It was a rather long, uh, rather long uh, battle, but I'm I'm back. Yes, you are. Okay, answer my question. What the hell is a giggle ball? Well, Joan, the scientific uh, explanation is it's a ball that giggles. Um, uh. It's a uh, ball that has some kind of electronic thing in, in the that when you play with it, it actually makes a giggle sound. Okay. That, that, yeah, that's the best I can do. And apparently, Lexi likes them so much, but they got stuck in her mouth. Oh so, no! Um, yeah, so they've had to take the giggle ball away. <clears throat> but she's and I don't know if you can hear my dogs giggling right now, but they're fighting. Um, forgive me. They're tussling. You know, uh, Tracy. Yeah, so. I don't know if it was um, if it was um, I follow so many shelters on social media. I don't know whether it was anti cruelty vets. It, it might have been or some other shelter I, I follow. They posted a video of a vet. Uh, they had a like a German shepherd upside down. They were holding him and the vet massaged the German shepherd's neck and a Kong popped out. 
Oh, my goodness. I know. Uh, that was not us. <laughs> that was not us. But that's, uh, that is, I'm glad that happened. It's not good for a, a German Shepherd to have a Kong. Stuff. But, um, no, that was well, not. Well, it's really important, that too, that, you know, I mean, you know, you always see when you buy something for your that's household, right. and it'll say, warning, small parts, choking hazard. And that's, and that's right. great. But the same is true when you buy toys for your dog, you've got to think about what size they are and what they're made of, because it really matters. It does. Plus, you got to know your dog's habits, right? Are they likely to try to swallow something? Are they likely to try to chew it and swallow it in pieces? So you got to know what your dog is all about. For instance, my dogs absolutely love stuffed toys, but they last about eight minutes, and then mm-hmm. it's over because all the stuffing's out all over the house. So... Um, that just doesn't work, you know. I can't, I can't afford a new stuff toy every day. And, um, and, and they, also, they you have to be uh, mindful of, uh, of of what they're eating because sometimes um, they'll start to eat something like, like clothing. Often, if there's uh, dirty yeah. clothes around, I've I've heard many horror stories at the vet specialty center up in uh, in, in um, Bannockburn about they have emergencies where a dog will have actually consume socks, you know, dirty socks. Yeah. And you know, one, uh-huh. two, they'll pass those, but then if they have a you know. A couple half a dozen sacks, they might actually get uh, their bowels impacted. So, you know, God forbid, you got to take them to the, the emergency room just because they're getting a little too adventurous with your dirty laundry. Yeah, Correct. Well, pretty girl. We sometimes have to watch her because she likes to chew holes, almost perfectly circular holes. I've had to get rid of kitchen towels, uh, one of the little throw blankets that we use when to stay warm when we watch television now has several circular holes. I had to recycle one of my white T-shirts because it no longer has an armpit. Um, it just disappeared. So, yeah, I mean, in Willow, yeah, Willow could care less about, about any of that, you know. Um, he, he just, of course, you know, Pretty Girl is just barely coming up on her one-year birthday, so she's probably right. still got chewy puppy ideas. Right. And this is a great example of know your pet. Mm-hmm. Uh, by the way, we talked about this once before, and my youngest one does the same things. I don't know how she makes perfect circles, but if we could figure out a way to sell that and monetize it. You know, <laughs> I know. I can't cut a perfect circle, yeah. but she does. Yeah. Uh, but you're yeah, an artist. It's know your pet and, and reduce then reduce the risks that that particular pet um, mm-hmm. may be in danger of uh, harming themselves with. Yeah. Yeah, that's, that's really important. Um, I was looking up some of the information on uh, Lexi. And Lexi's a senior. I didn't realize that, Tracy. She is. Um, She's and, 11 years know, old. Seniors I'm make sorry, the best go. dogs. I believe this with all my heart. You think, you know, because you, you might think, oh, they were bonded to somebody else. They won't bond to me the way a puppy will. Horse pucky. That's absolutely not true. If anything, I think they're more grateful and more loving. I that's my personal experience uh, with the seniors that I have adopted. Um, the bond is very, very strong. Lexi's 11. She has some arthritis. Um, she's kind of vocal until she gets used to you. Um, but she's loving and, and sweet and playful um, and does okay with other dogs and does okay with kids. Um, I think she would make a tremendous companion. Yeah. Um, with a little bit of special care, I'm sure, uh, you know, Craig, being an expert, could 
counsel anyone about how to how to work with arthritis and relieve some of that pain with both medications and supplements. But she is a, a great companion, and she is worthy of, of finding a new home. And I think she's going to make a great uh, member of a family as soon as Great. someone comes and makes her that member. Craig, let's let's talk about that because I know there are a number of products that are sold. There's prebiotics, there's probiotics, there's chondro- glucosamine, chondroitin, botswellia. Should especially a senior dog take all of the above? Oh, yeah, and and I'll dive into that. But first, I do want to um, reiterate the thing that you said earlier about adopting a senior dog. Now, uh, if anyone goes to markdrugs.com and go to the bottom of the screen, you'll see Lexi. She does not look like a senior dog. If she is a senior dog, then I I want whatever she's uh, eating and drinking because she looks very young and playful. And apparently, with this whole giggle ball story that you got going on, and and I read about that, too, and how she's she's very playful. So uh, the fact that she'll be able to be paired with another dog, regardless of what age that other dog is, um, is great. So I want people not to assume that just because it's a a more experienced dog that there's any uh, detriment to that. In fact, I have a a great friend of mine who only adopts senior dogs, and it is the most rewarding experience because they they have plenty of love to give. Regardless of the circumstances they came from, someone like Lexi, would be a great addition to any family, whether they have a dog or not. Uh, but going back to um, certain things that can be done. Now, um, Lexi being playful and actually having quite a bit of energy, you probably wouldn't need to hit it too hard. Now, I know that she has documented case of arthritis. This can be easily treated with certain over-the-counter products, uh, starting with fish oil. Now, fish oil is something that uh, I would recommend for just about any uh, pet, uh, any canine or feline, just because it has a lot of different uh, benefits. One of the benefits is arthritis. It can help reduce the um, the pain experience with uh, existing arthritis. It takes a little bit of time, but what you get from uh, taking fish oil, the additional benefit is that it helps with uh, skin and uh, hair. So it's going to hopefully help Lexi maintain a healthy coat at the same time treating her joints and reducing the pain that she might feel. Um, Now, Joan, thank you for mentioning some other products that people are more familiar with, like glucosamine chondroitin. Now, these are products that have been used for, you know, uh, for a long time, for decades. Don't people use that, too? Oh, absolutely. And now it's the same thing. The uh, thing is, the one that I would give Lexi is something called Glycoflex that comes in a beef-flavored treat. Uh, most of my human patients don't uh, really uh, go for that, but I think Lexi might. And and she, being kind of a younger, smaller, not younger, um, I mean, she is still 11 years old. She's got a lot of love to give, but not like an elderly patient. Um, and her being uh, smaller, she probably only needs the, the second level of, um, of Glycoflex. Uh, they do have more intense levels for as arthritis becomes uh, more progressed but her the the introductory or the second level of glycoflex is a product that she can use she's going to think it's a treat so whatever she she wins she gets a little uh, treat at the uh, at the beginning and end of the day you can combine it with food if you like 
But fish oil and glycoflex, which contains chondroitin, MSM, which is another product that, um, you know, a long acronym that uh, I, I probably can't pronounce anyway, uh, <laughs> but uh, it's one that has, has often been used in humans and animals to reduce the inflammation associated with arthritis. So hopefully she can, you know, be more comfortable as you're taking her out for walks. And uh, like, uh, like um, Tracy said, this is an active pup. This is not a dog that is a senior and just going to be sitting there. It's going to be one that uh, apparently loves giggles balls and you could probably find something else that might be slightly less annoying for her to play with uh, to get her energy to, to make sure that she's burning off um, her energy but so between starting fish oil kind of empirically and that would be even for a younger animal without arthritis because of the other benefits that fish oil has then treating with uh, something like the glycoflex um, now that takes a while to work it, same thing with humans like what often happens is people will take glucosamine for months and months and months then they run out and then a a couple weeks later, they're noticing, oh boy, and now I see what it's been doing for me. But then there's that lag time. There's that time before the glucosamine kicks in, before the fish oil kicks in for the arthritis, that you might need something a little more immediate. Now, you would never want to give uh, Lexi aspirin. I mean, there are certain conditions under uh, doctor's orders where aspirin is appropriate, but certainly not like um, ibuprofen or anything like that that's designed for, for, uh, for, uh, for people. There are drugs like carprofen, which is an uh, anti-inflammatory, non-steroidal, that is specifically for canines and felines um, that, that you could use as a bridge to hopefully reduce the uh, pain and inflammation that's, uh, that's associated with arthritis. But uh, if you want to go a more natural path, another thing that you mentioned is the Boswellia. I have um, uh, people who come into the, my pharmacy and they buy Boswellia, and they're basically they're taking it for themselves and they're splitting it with their dog. Now this is something <laughs> that is a natural product that is uh, perfectly suitable for humans and animals, and it's something again more to put out the fire while you're waiting for uh, the glucosamine or the fish oil to kick in, and hopefully down the road, like you can basically. Uh, titrate the dose depending on the level of arthritis. Now, when it's cold outside, um, these animals tend to be more sensitive and their joints tend to have a little more inflammation in them. So you might need um, Boswellia or a higher dose for those periods of time versus when it's warmer outside and, and, and maybe they're just not putting too much stress on their joints. So uh, Boswellia is something that, that uh, they can use as more of like a use only when needed or break class in case of emergency type plan. Um, there's certainly heavier ones than that, and we can go into CBD as a potential option. But when we were talking about Lexi in particular, uh, this wonderful smiling dog that I'm looking at on my webpage, uh, Mark mm -hmm. Dot com at the bottom of the page. It, it's something that I think just starting her out on fish oil and then seeing how well she does, um, and then after a couple of uh, weeks or a month, uh, consider adding the uh, uh, um, the glucosamine supplement so that the glycoflex, so that uh, you can have that additional uh, layer of, uh, of lubrication and comfort in, in her joints. Craig, I know that when you like change a dog's food, you're not supposed to just do it suddenly. You do it, you know, you, you do it gradually over a period of a week or two. If you're going to start your dog on supplements, should you also start gradually and work up to a full dose? Oh, uh, for the most part, when you're talking about something like the, um, 
the glycoflex, you probably don't need to do that. Um, now, one thing is, like, some dogs are more finicky, so they might not like the flavor at all. So you might want to kind of test the, the, the waters first. And since a lot of them take a while to work, they need to kind of build up in your system something like fish oil. And, um, well, come to think of it, with, with the fish oil, since it is literally a liquid that uh, sometimes uh, dogs react differently to an oil and it might cause loose stools, that one I would titrate. When it comes to the uh, solid powders or the uh, treats that are in the form of glucosamine, MSM, that's something that I think you can kind of determine what level of arthritis we're dealing with and just go for the target dose. And uh, you'll find out whether or not the animal's going to take it. And they're, they're going to pr- probably tolerate it pretty well because it's basically going to be presented to them just like any other treat. Uh, but when it comes to something that contains, like when you're literally just giving 5 to 10 milliliters of salmon oil or fish oil, uh, combined with the food that might cause some loose stool. So start with two mLs, maybe increase to a, t- uh, a teaspoon. And if for a larger dog uh, or, or a horse like Willow, you might need <laughs> tablespoons of that to get the effect that you need. Well, so, you know, it, um, yeah. it's, uh, I was going. To, I wasn't going to say anything until you mentioned loose stools. Twice I have tried to start Willow on fish oil, and both times I've had to stop it because he gets the poops. Yeah, exactly. So, so depending on how much, and, and Willow's going to need a pretty high dose. Um, there are other things that uh, can be given, like when when uh, animals are experiencing that problem. Uh, sometimes just a simple chicken and rice for a little while to hopefully bind things up for um, for the time being. Uh, but like you mentioned with the with the new foods, how you kind of introduce them slowly. Um, Willow might need uh, a slower introduction to that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, again, yeah, I if, think if so. You try, yeah, I mean, you've done enough cleaning up, to, so you know, or, or it, there's other options as well. I mean, fish oil, I like it because you get the twofer. You get the, the, the skin and the, the dermatological benefits, and you get the uh, anti-inflammatory benefits. Uh, but if she's not tolerating, if he's not tolerating it, and your target here is actually the arthritis that you're worried about and with uh, uh, Willow's genetic predisposition, that is a problem that will come up ultimately, and the idea now is to slow it down to a crawl so it doesn't progress very fast. Something like the glucosamine might be a better idea if arthritis is what you're trying, is our main concern, and if you're not too worried about the uh, the coat. You can also try other things for um, healthy, you know, uh, hair. You can even try coconut oil, but I got a feeling that uh, regardless if it's just too oily, that might be causing a problem. So start with tiny, tiny doses, um, maybe a quarter of what the target dose is going to be, and then you can try to increase it gradually, but once you notice uh, things loosening up, then back off or stop it for a couple of days and perhaps look into what types of food might be more binding uh, to help uh, uh, Willow kind of be comfortable as you're trying to treat a couple different things. Okay, okay. And uh, Tracy, uh, I wanted, there's a couple of things going on with anti-cruelty that I wanted to talk to you about. March 7th, uh, the Pet Day of Giving, what's that? Yes. Well, let me start with what March 7 means overall. That day itself is our organization's 125th anniversary. Oh, congratulations. Wow. Wow. And we are having a a big celebration. Uh, On the 10th. The big celebration's on the 10th, isn't it? No, the big celebration, there's two. There's a community celebration uh, at our facility on the 7th, and then there's a gala uh, on Saturday the 9th. The celebration on the 7th is at the facility. The city is going to name uh, the street 
for Rose Faye Thomas, our founder, as an honorary Rose Faye, Rose Faye Thomas way, I think. Alderman will be there for that. We are revealing our brand new logo. Um, and we're also ribbon cutting all of the renovations that we've done to the facility and touring uh, and having a few other things too. So uh, that all begins at noon. The day of giving uh, is a day like uh, Giving Tuesday or something where we are commemorating that 125th anniversary by asking people um, to to support the work um, as we enter our second, uh, our, our 126th year of serving animals and serving the community. So it's just a special day when we're going to be doing a lot of online promotion of our work and asking for support. And then Saturday the 9th, we're having a big gala at the Garrity. Both of these uh, events are on our website, uh, anticruelty.org. And you can, of course, come to the 7th. There's no ticket charge for that. Or you can buy a ticket or a table or a sponsorship for gala on there as well. And, you know, again, as I was saying, I follow anti-cruelty on social media, and I thought it was so wonderful that as you're doing this rehab, you have all these uh, cages that you no longer need, and you're, instead of just, like, recycling them or putting them out with the trash, you're sharing them with other shelters that could use them. Tell me about that. Well, we did have a uh, we we our cat facility, our cat adoption room, went from um, an all cage environment to an open roaming environment. There are three open roam rooms. Cats do much better when they're uh, not in cages, when they're with uh, other cats who have been you know carefully chosen, so they get along. Uh-huh. They 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 stay uh, mentally healthy healthy longer, and they also stay more physically healthy. Their immune system, which is very sensitive, is not. Affected, so they get much less upper respiratory and other kinds of ailments. And so um, we had some cages that were perfectly fine, but we had no use for them. So we did offer them to other uh, partners here in the city because um, they're very expensive. As we also did some some additional uh, work in some of our dog rooms, and caging is not not uh, cheap at all. But the cat room is awesome. The cats are are in there and beginning to work in beginning to use that facility. And then we also completely did all of our dog holding rooms on the third floor, which has really significantly improved the lives of the animals, the dogs who have to be in those holding rooms waiting for to be prepared for adoption. Mm-hmm. And then our welcome center, our lobby has been completely redone and uh, really turned into a place where we are making sure people feel welcomed. And it's a destination point in River North, um, we want people to come in and see the animals, and whether you're going to adopt or not doesn't matter. Come in, visit, maybe volunteer, maybe take a dog on a walk, or maybe fall in love with them. <laughs> uh, Tracy, I, uh, how many dogs do you have now? One or two? My myself personally. Yeah. I have two. I have two. Uh, they're about to reach. They have uh, almost a year apart. Four and three. Although wow. they've been back like they're four months and three months, um, they're perpetual puppies. But they are uh, both rescue dogs, of course, uh, from our southern transport process where we bring in dogs from Alabama, mostly young dogs and puppies that we don't generally get in the shelter from owner surrenders and strays. 
Um, and they would be euthanized in those very small shelters who don't have any resources. So yeah. we bring them north. And um, we've suspended that a little bit now because of the population crisis. It's still happening that we have way too many big dogs. Um, and and uh, adoption numbers are still way down for all dogs, particularly big dogs, not just us, all over the country. We've talked about that before. We don't know exactly why, but um, so we're still struggling, as are all of our partners everywhere. Um, so we're not bringing nearly as many animals up from the south to make sure that we have those cages available, and uh, we're not, you know, we're not stressing our capacity. I so know. Uh, I wanted to say, if, if you're not exactly prepared for an older dog like Lexi, although they're wonderful dogs, we have a lot of young dogs. We have a lot of teenagers. We have a lot of adolescents. Occasionally, some puppies. And there are a lot of other selections to be made, and they need homes really badly. Yes, yes, they do. And another advantage of an older dog is they tend to be um, pretty well-behaved and potty-trained, and they will not yeah. eat the armpits out of your T-shirts, most likely. Yes. Um, or, or, you know, or do you know how table, many dog right? beds Pretty Girl has eaten holes into? <laughs> it's just stunning. Um, I finally looked around and I said to Ray, I said, you know, we buy ours at Costco because we're cheap. I said, right, let's go to right. Costco. We need some more dog beds. And the next morning, Ray said, go ahead, look in the crate. Go ahead. See what pretty girl did to your brand new dog bed. And it's just like, yep. so there's a lot to be said for older dogs. If pretty girl Indeed wasn't so is. lovable and didn't adore me and me her, it would be a different story, uh, mister. Uh I hear you, Joan. Um, I said I would never again adopt a puppy, and then my two older dogs passed away during the uh, during COVID, during the epidemic, and I ended up adopting not one puppy but two. So uh, it was crazy, but they are they're you know they they keep me young. Yeah, yep, and um, again, this is just because I just I just love animals. One of those. One of the accounts I follow on Instagram is called Wolfgang2242. Wolfgang2242. This guy lives in the Denver area. He was an accountant. He retired, and he decided that he was going to dedicate his life to taking in the animals that are considered unadoptable. And he now has, last I counted, he has 11 dogs, he has a pig, he has a chicken, and he has a turkey. There are angels among us. And I'm telling you, if I move out of the suburbs and get myself one of those little gentleman farmer things, you know, it's about, you know, five acres or so, um, I am going to become Wolfgang 2242. I understand. That's right. I think that's both our retirement plans. Uh, <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that's, yeah. A, that's, that's a great life. That's a great life. I mean, think about how fulfilling that would be. I mean, of course, it's not realistic for most people. But like I said, I know people who go out of their way only and they only want to adopt older animals mm-hmm. like Lexi. And, and, and like you mentioned, you don't have to worry about the potty training part. You don't have to worry about the socializing part quite as much, although depending on their uh, previous uh, experience, you know, they may or may not be a fit for uh, a feline or, or other dogs in the house. 
So, I mean, what the benefit of checking out Lexi, whether you're in the market to get an animal or not, is that uh, if you know somebody who's looking and, and has that type of temperament where um, they, they want something that's, uh, they, they want an animal that's going to be trained and be kind and, and also still have enough energy to be exciting, then, then Lexi is, is just a sweetheart, just someone that they should check out. And then, like Tracy was mentioning, like if, whether or not you're interested in, in getting an animal, you don't know. You, you don't know until you, until you take one and you foster them. And the way that anti-cruelty works is that you can foster them for a week. You can foster them That's for right. a day. You could foster them for a couple hours. You could take them around the block. You could just take them around the loop. Take a beautiful walk when it gets warm outside, and then you never know right. what's going to happen. You might fall in love, or you might think, oh, shoot. I know someone who's been looking for a dog. This might be perfect. So, um, you know, make, make a date out of it. Uh, just something that, that will really help get the animal. And, and it might be helpful for you. But think about the help that you're giving that animal. Just by yep. giving them a walk and getting them socialized and getting in that uh, mode of interacting with humans and, and, and other animals. I mean, you're doing a huge service whether or not you end up being a foster failure. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, that's true. Very true. Guys. Craig, by the way, if you ever tire of being a pharmacist, would you please come and join our marketing team? <laughs> oh, that day may come. We'll see. <laughs> Thank you, Craig. Thank you, Tracy. Uh, Anti Cruelty and Mark Drugs for sponsoring our Pet of the Month segment. Uh, it is always uh, a delight to, and please check out Craig's website or the Mark Drugs website or the WCPT820.com website and you can find all about Lexi or just go to the anticruelty.org site and you can put in, in the search button, you can put in Lexi and she'll pop right up. Thank you. Thank you guys. Um, we're going to take a break for news and be back with more after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive. Quite frankly, I get most of my news from you. Joan Esposito. Y'all ready for this? On WCPT 820. For a while, he worked down in Springfield. Oh, once or twice he worked for WCPT. But now he is ensconced in Evanston, Illinois, as the mayor. Daniel Biss, we welcome you back to the show. How are you? I'm doing fine. How are you, John? You are like the busiest guy in politics. Um, I was just reading that in addition to being mayor, which, by the way, Daniel, most people would consider a full-time job, you've now taken on other uh, Democratic responsibilities. Tell us about that. Well, I was uh, just uh, named the committee person for the Democratic Party of Evanston, which basically is the local party leader. Uh, and, you know, I'll be honest, Joan, you're, you're right. I was, you know, kind of thinking to myself, do I really have the capacity for another responsibility? Um, you know, God knows I, I take being mayor seriously, and it's not a small job. But, uh, you know, you don't need me to tell you what's at stake in this next election. Oh, my God, yeah. Anybody, anybody can sit on the sidelines. And so my attitude is I'm going to do everything I possibly can to help reelect the president, and if that means, you know, some additional responsibilities, then so be it. So local party leader, does that mean you recruit candidates? Uh, what exactly is the job description there? Well, you know, the formal official job description is you're the, um, I guess you would say, the, the Evanston delegate to the Cook County Democratic Party. And 
so, you know, like when the Fukushima Democratic Party is coming together to make decisions about endorsements for in primaries and stuff like that, you know, you're I'm kind of representing Evanston at the table. But in practice, it also means you're kind of the head of the local party. And a lot of that is really about grassroots, is about organizing people in our community who are, you know, obviously so fired up about defeating Donald Trump to do phone banking, to hop on buses and do trips to Wisconsin, because we all know how critical the Wisconsin uh, outcome is going to be for the election. Um, You know, making sure that everybody in Evanston, which is frankly most people in Evanston, who is passionate about this election, has an opportunity to plug in and be impactful and be part of making a difference. And I think that's how Joe Biden wins. That's how Mm -hmm. we beat Donald Trump, is but if everybody who really cares about this, steps up to the plate and does their part. And if that happens, there is an anti-Trump majority. There's an anti-MAGA majority in this country. Our job is to activate them. Yep. Uh, Will you be involved in any way with the uh, Democratic National Convention when it comes to town? Uh, What I know for sure that I'll be doing is uh, helping uh, kind of recruit volunteers for it and helping connect uh, Evanston residents who are interested in volunteering to the convention to those opportunities. Beyond that, I don't know if I'll have any other role, but of course, you know, I'll do whatever I'm asked to do. Like I said, this is a big moment and all of us need to be prepared to step up to the plate and, and pull our weight. Are you surprised by just how radical the Republican Party has become and how they seem to be more radical every day? Well, yeah, I'm just sort of disgusted by it. And, and you know, there is so little interest in their on their part in solving any kind of problem ever. Right. It's not it's not I'm comfortable with disagreement. I'm comfortable if somebody has a different idea than me about what economic policies are going to bring the most benefit to our communities and so forth. I I understand that people kind of radically different ideas about what's best. But today's Republicans don't seem to want to solve any problem. They don't seem to want to accomplish anything. They've become a kind of nihilistic cult around this guy who's been indicted, who knows, you know, for how many dozens of, of charges, who has the most astonishing and appalling lack of interest in the well-being of the country is in it only for himself. You know, it's it's really heartbreaking to see to see where we've come. But it just you know, again, I think reinforces what's at stake here. How much do you think we can lay at the feet of Donald Trump? Because as you probably know, there was a woman uh, last election cycle who was um, running for state office, and she wanted his endorsement, which she didn't get. And her response when asked about it was, MAGA is bigger than Donald Trump. MAGA doesn't even really need Donald Trump again. We are our own movement. Do you think that's the case? And should he disappear tomorrow, everything would continue? Or is it one of those instances where, you know, you cut off the head of the snake and eventually the body dies? Um, You know... I think it's a little bit in between. I mean, first of all, I I don't think that one person unilaterally has that kind of influence unless they're tapping into something, right? And the truth of the matter is Donald Trump tapped into a kind of really 
troubling and an upsetting hunger on the part of a big slice of the Republican primary electorate. We, we can't pretend that way. That, that, that's a fact. Um, but it's also true that his, uh, his behavior is uniquely bad. His, he, is, uh, he has a kind of a, a knack and an instinct for bringing out the worst in people, for dividing people in, that, in the nastiest ways, for turning disagreements into fights and turning fights into violence. Um, and so I think whatever kind of undercurrent was there and was troubling and probably we should have seen more clearly and done more about before Trump got nominated for president in 2016, whatever that was, that didn't make January 6th a foregone conclusion, for example. Right. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, I think I think you've got a kind of perfect storm of of a, a pretty troubling um, kind of strain in the Republican primary electorate together with a really, really dangerous guy. Um, We have been talking a lot. I have been talking a lot with various experts, you know, uh, with um, how we house the unhoused and, you know, maybe create more affordable housing, how to deal with uh, migrants who don't have the support structure of the Ukrainian community to blend into and are kind of on their own. Uh, in the city of Evanston, are you working on any of those areas? And if so, what's working for you guys? Well, first of all, um, even before the current migrant crisis, which is certainly an enormous humanitarian crisis that we're you know, very, very interested in doing our part to, help to improve. But before that, we were already very focused on affordable housing and services for the unhoused. And, you know, so that means a lot of different things. It means, and I actually think this might've been the last time I was on your show, Joan, uh, talking about uh, the fact that we had, um, there was a kind of a luxury or not luxury, but kind of a upscale hotel uh, that uh, shut down when the pandemic came for obvious reasons and has been converted into shelter for the unhoused. And it's it's right in, in the heart of Evanston. And when it was, kind of first up and running, it was a source of some controversy, but we, we stuck with it and really worked with the community to build support for the idea that it's important for us to provide shelter for the unhoused. And that's that's an argument that I believe we won at Evanston, which is which is great. And so we're we're working hard on opportunities like that. We're doing things like um uh, developing what's been kind of an underutilized surface parking lot right by an L station and close to the lake into an exciting new affordable housing uh, development. You know, so that's, that's transit-oriented uh, um, uh, affordable housing in a, you know, a really kind of uh, diverse uh, and, and very attractive neighborhood. So we're doing everything we can like that, but, but there's still a serious, serious shortage of housing. And so we're embarking now on a project we're calling Envision Evanston 2045 to rethink our zoning code and our comprehensive plan for among other reasons, to, to figure out what we can do to encourage more density and more housing to address the issue. So that's, that's the first part. And then, you know, relative to the migrant uh, crisis, you know, obviously uh, we are interested in providing whatever wraparound services we can. We have a small resettlement fund that we've used uh, to support some migrants who arrive in Evanston. But we're also in partnership with the city of Chicago and the state of Illinois to make sure that we're connecting any migrants that do arrive to services. And that, that has you know, often meant um, being prepared to kind of redirect them to um, 
to the, the state system so that, for example, they're getting access to legal services so they can uh, have their asylum cases treated properly. And so it's a, it's a balancing act of providing the local resources we can, but also connecting to regional and statewide resources. You said when you took that hotel and converted it to housing that it was that there was some controversy. What was the controversy? Look, I don't think it's any secret that you know there's there sometimes people have concerns about whether uh, affordable housing or or you know projects that are specifically aimed at, at housing the unhoused whether that comes with public disorder, whether it brings, uh, you know, party issues of crime and so forth. And, you know, we chose to take those issues head on. We didn't just dismiss them. We didn't just ignore them. We took them seriously, but we also heard them from the standpoint of we have a moral responsibility to solve this problem, not to just wish it away and hope somebody else solves it. And, and so but over that time, kind of hearing concerns for people who are wondering if if neighborhood safety would be effective. We worked with a really terrific housing provider, Connections for the Homeless, that was running the facility, and we worked with our police department and other community partners and, and demonstrated to the neighbors, no, this, this, is, this is good for the individuals who are being housed. It's good for the neighborhood. It's good for the community, and it's the right thing to do. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, uh, that's one of the arguments that always, it's sort of the not in my backyard. And it's not... I, I I think you've hit the nail on the head. It's not I don't want, um, you know, poor people. I don't want to live in a neighborhood with poor people. I think the fear is, will this change the character of where I live? Will we be less safe if um, people who haven't made the same financial investment that we've made come to the area? Um, how do you, when you talk to somebody who has those fears, how do you specifically address those? Well, I, I think the only really way, real way to address them is just through lived experience, right? It's 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 not going to be this argument is not going to be won in a debating society. It's going to be won by actually having the project there and having it be run well. And so this project began on a on the fly and the pandemic arrives and all of a sudden there was this emergency. And so it just kind of happened. Um, and then it was actually quite a few years before it was given a permanent, uh, permit from the city of Evanston. And so during the course of those years, neighbors saw it. And at first they had some concerns and we heard those concerns. We worked with connections for the homeless to address those concerns. And we proved, you know, maybe not to every single neighbor, but to many, many neighbors that, you know, People are people, and having more people in the neighborhood can lead to social vibrancy. And that the kind of fears or stereotypes or kind of worst-case scenarios that might be in your mind, um, are, are they just sort of go away when you, you have daily life and, and the sky does not fall? And so, yeah. you know, I, I, don't think, I don't think it's about winning some argument. It's about showing that you're able to do the work in a responsible way that is beneficial to the whole community. We need to take a real quick break here. I'm talking to Daniel Biss, mayor of Evanston, Illinois. We'll continue this right after these commercials. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And I'm joined by Daniel Biss, who is the mayor of Evanston, Illinois. 
Daniel, what's going on in Illinois, in, in Evanston that's really good that maybe I haven't read about yet in the newspapers and the newsletters? Well, gosh, I'm glad you asked. Uh, <laughs> I, we are going to have a city council meeting on Monday evening. And at that meeting, we're going to have on the agenda uh, approval of a community responder program. This is a, respond, a program that is going to be a 911 response uh, by non-armed uh, individuals who are not a part of the police department uh, to make sure that we're dealing with mental health crises, with substance abuse uh, uh, crises with maybe domestic arguments that aren't violent in ways that are sensitive, that are appropriate, where the individuals who are uh, doing the outreach are uh, perhaps trained in uh, social work or uh, or uh, other forms of um, therapy or outreach, or perhaps they're individuals with lived experience with uh, some of the same issues where they're doing these calls. As, as you know and your listeners know, we ask cops to do like a billion different things. We ask the same person to do traffic stops, to show up at someone's house that's having a mental health uh, crisis, to respond to a shooting, to respond to a burglary. Uh, That's an untenable number of different things that we're asking uh, people in the police department to do. And so having community responders is, I think, a really exciting uh, way to make sure that we're providing the right resources, the right skill sets, uh, with the, uh, frankly, alarmingly accelerating mental health crisis that exists across this country. So that's something I'm, I'm really excited about. It's been, it's been in the works a long time, but my, my literal first act as mayor, the first thing I did, frankly, kind of close to three years ago, was to create a reimagining public safety committee to work on issues just like this. And this is one of our, um, you know, one of the most significant outcomes of that. And so I'm really excited to see it come to fruition, hopefully with passage on Monday evening. Daniel, how would that work? Because is there, would there be a separate phone number that a family calls if it's a mental health crisis? And if they, if there isn't, if if they call 911, who decides whether this is an event that requires a police or not police? Who makes that call? Great question. So you, the answer is it will not be a separate number. It will be 911. And so that places a really uh, important role on the shoulders of the 911 dispatch uh, worker, right? Because the, the decision of who gets sent is a decision that has unbelievably significant consequences, both for the resident who needs help and for the individual being sent. And so there are programs like this that exist in a variety of places. The most famous, similar one has been in, in up and running with great success in Eugene, Oregon for a decade now. It's called the Cahoots Program, but there's a number of others that have cropped up more, more recently across the country. And so there are really solid training programs and, you know, clear, you know, you might even call them like flow charts uh, for 911 dispatch uh, workers to utilize and figuring out how to route the the calls, but I think we also need to be honest. This is something that will be, um, you know, this is going to be a partnership between our outreach workers, who will be, by the way, in our parks and rec department, and our uh, police uh, officers and police leadership and our 911 dispatch, and they're going to have to work this out together in collaboration. And one thing about this I think is really noteworthy is there's some places that have rolled this out as a part of the police department. Mm-hmm. And there are other places that have rolled this out as kind of an attack on the police department. 
And what we're doing is neither of those things. This is a close and uh, you know enthusiastic collaboration uh, between our police department, which understands that some calls are better addressed by non-police officers and our Parks and Rec Department. And so on the one hand, we're going to have this function not in the police department, which I think is appropriate. It's where it belongs because it's a different kind of function, a different type of work, a different um, kind of feeling uh, that should be created when the when the city worker arrives at the resident's house. But on the other hand, it's being done in collaboration, so we're all going to be sharing information. We're all going to be pulling in the same direction. We all have the same vision of what we're trying to accomplish here. Mm-hmm. Um, you You talked about the police and that, uh, triggers a question. You know, it's been um, a very controversial practice, uh, whether you're in support of it or not, in the city of Chicago, whether or not to have one or more police officers at a school, particularly the high schools. And for a while, they were all there. Then it was turned over to the local school councils. Now Mayor Brandon Johnson says he's against any cops at schools. Um, what do Evanston schools do? Well, so uh, it's a little complicated. In Evanston, you know, we have two school districts, the elementary and middle school district, as well as the high school district. Uh, and they're both totally independent of the city. So I want to be clear in case anyone's listening. Don't, I'm not pretending to be in charge of those, those districts. I'm just a resident like anybody else. Um, but the... Elementary and middle school district, uh, something like, I don't know exactly, but let's say four or five years ago, I think, uh, made a decision they did not want uh, school resource officers. And so they, they've been without school resource officers in their school uh, for, for a number of years. The, the high school retains a couple of school resource officers. Um, it was a, obviously a hot issue. It was discussed at length, and there was, there was you know people on both sides. But ultimately, they decided that... Um, you know, I think they, I think, and again, I don't speak for them, but but I, I think if you were to ask them what they would say is, eventually they landed on the yes side for a couple of reasons. Number one, of course, it's a big, complex building, and uh, the security and safety concerns are real. And so they felt that having SROs in the building would help. But the other thing is they felt that the, the individuals from our police department who were on that in that role really were. Um, community-minded kind of mentor leaders. And so it was not seen as a kind of, you know, intimidating or or kind of oppressive force by by most students. It was kind of the opposite. Mm -hmm. It was seen as like these are are people who are acting as role models and partners and almost kind of like, almost like big brother, big sister types. And so that that feeling, I think, um, you know, was a counter to some of the concerns, and I think they're very understandable and, and, and legitimate concerns that people have about the idea of you know, putting uniformed officers in a school and, and sort of creating a a feeling of a like a security or like almost quasi military you know atmosphere in a school building. Well, um, I think that that's you've done it exactly right, and I think that if there are going to be cops at schools, they have to be specially selected and specially trained. Uh, Daniel, thank you so much uh, for touching base with us. Always good to know what's going on in Evanston and with you. Well, thank you. Appreciate the chance to be here, and uh, you know, thanks for everything that you do. Very welcome. Glad to have you. We're going to take a break. We're going to be back with more after this.
Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And I'm pleased to welcome back to our program State Representative LaShawn Ford, who represents Illinois' 8th District. LaShawn, how are you? I'm so glad to be back with you. Thank you so very much. Hey, uh... I Part of the reason why I wanted to get you back on the show, I was talking to some other folks about some issues, and not even knowing that I ever had you on the radio, they started singing your praises. And apparently, I need you to give me the details. It was It's something to do with your work to um, to combat the opioid crisis. So what is it you're doing that they thought was so amazing? Well, one, we're pushing, Joan, um, the number one harm reduction um, tool out. We're making sure that uh, wherever you go, one, that people have Narcan everywhere. And we're making sure that people have access to um, behavior and mental health support because we of the individuals suffering from a substance use disorder, they need to have behavior health support so that they can overcome the challenges. A lot of the individuals that are struggling with um, substance use disorder are unemployed. We're trying to help them find employment and housing. And the number one harm reduction tool is to have a medical setting of safe um safe consumption site, which means that in Chicago, there would be a place that would have a a wraparound program in a building that's staffed by medical providers, social service agencies to deal with all of the um, elements that lead to a substance use disorder. So I think the mayor of the city of Chicago, DHS, and um, many people in throughout the state support a safe consumption site. That's kind of a controversial suggestion. Are you getting a lot of pushback on that? You know, we are because I think that people see this as a place where people go and get high. But I've visited um, places uh, across, uh, you know, in Toronto, where they have a overdose prevention site where people actually um, overdose and someone is there to actually save their life. You you have a choice. You're going to have people that's going to die in the alley or die in the library, die on the bus. Many people have died. I've met with CTA's leadership, the chairman and the president, and I think they had over 60 deaths um, from overdoses on uh, the CTA. Well, those people, if they had a place where they could go and get help, those lives would be saved. New York has proven it. New York, in the first couple of months, they reversed the death of about a thousand people. Wow, I I didn't realize New York had already implemented uh, these kinds of places. Like, um, I assume that they have several. New York's a very big place. Would you be thinking in terms of um, more than more than one place? How many places per square miles? Or are there certain areas where? There are more drug overdose deaths where these places would be more uh, would be where it would make more sense to put them. 
Well, we only want one, and we want it as a pilot. Mm-hmm. And Sean- so it would be on the it would be on the west side of Chicago. Uh-huh. And so we only want one, and the west the city of Chicago would be responsible for it. So I think that we're we're pushing it. I met with the mayor, and um, it's one of his priorities. I mean, he has spoken about his relatives who have actually suffered. In fact, his brother um, may have suffered from a substance use disorder. You know, I've had um, many people um, that I know and love suffer from a uh, substance use disorder, whether it's drugs or alcohol. But if you have a tool that you know will guarantee help people recover, why would we not use it? This is a guaranteed um, tool that will help, you know, many people say that they want to help Americans. You know, there's a lot of talk about, you know, why are we helping the migrants? And here's a chance that you have people right now that are and have been suffering for a very long time, and there is proven help with having a medical setting for people to come get help. And so we believe that if we could open up a medical setting for overdose um, site, prevention site, it, it makes sense. Plus, we've been issuing and working with um, lots of agencies on the uh, west side that's putting out newsstands and Narcan in the newsstands, and people have been picking them up off of Pulaski in front of a building um, that I know, um, Aetna Circle, they, they, I know they put out at least a thousand uh, Narcans and people come and get those Narcans. So pushing Narcan out throughout the community to uh, reverse deaths has been a priority of mine. These, um, <clears throat> these centers where people can uh, safely get high and uh, can be treated if they overdose, how does that work? Are they expected to get to the center on their own? Is this the kind of thing where if um, social workers or police officers find somebody who is, um, you know, either um, really, really high or in the process of shooting up, that they bring them to these centers? How, how, what are the mechanics of it, LaShawn? Yeah, so, Joan, that's, the, that's just where it really gets, um, where, where people have to be brave and do what's right for people that's struggling. You, you know, they, these people will come to the medical setting and they would actually have the illegal drugs on them. They're either going to do the drugs in the, in the library where kids are or in the bus where kids are or in the alley or in the parks. This gives them an opportunity to bring the actual um, drugs into a setting and they will be able to test it for um, fentanyl. We know that fentanyl is a almost instant killer. And so it's our goal to do everything that we can to protect people from dying from um, something that's preventable. It's literally preventable. People do not have to die from it. And... Even if somebody walks in with illegal substances, they're not going to be arrested. 
that's where law enforcement says and that law enforcement would have to turn a, a blind eye to the fact that they are they are they are going to say it's okay for people to come into the setting and and bring it that's what's happening in Toronto that's what's happening in other parts of the world where these uh, sites are mm-hmm. because the police they're going to either arrest the people that's addicted to heroin on the streets and then they're going to be a burden on the taxpayers or those people could go into a place to actually get help. Majority of the people that's getting high on the street are people that need help. They need help. And I know firsthand from walking in the neighborhoods, watching people, it's not black people only. It's not white people only. It is a bi a racial problem we're all we're off because we're not doing what we need to do to help these people recover and these old you you can save your life and you could connect them to care <laughs> because you will have people with lived experiences there that will say you know what I got high for 20 years today I'm clean for the last three years you can do it so you have with actual lived experiences in the sites. You have people that have apartments to help them um, gain housing. You have behavior health counselors there to help them deal with underlying problems. And it's it makes sense. You know, you, we have to protect uh, the community and protect life. Well, you know, I know it's it's a controversial idea. Um, I didn't realize they were already doing it in New York. I, d- I did know that it uh, had been tried in other places and had been successful. Um, but you're right. It's sort of tricky waters uh, to navigate. And you said that police would have to kind of turn a blind eye. Does that mean that you would need to get, like, say, in the city of Chicago, that you'd need to get, like, Larry Snelling, the head of the CPD, to sign off on this and 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 get on board? No, he doesn't have to sign off because, you know what, if you go to, if you go on the west side um, where I'm from, on the west side in Austin and in Garfield, you could go on Madison, and it's an open drug market. Are they signing off on that? Mm. <laughs> you know. Yeah. So my, you know, so we might as well do everything that we can. If a person goes into a place that's there to help them, that's a sign that they want help. Yeah. Now everyone's not going in; they don't want the help. But if you tell them that we have a place here to actually help you recover, just come in. We're not going to force you and take your drugs and throw it down the drain. We're going to give you the help that you need. When you leave, you will know that this is a place that I feel comfortable and I can actually recover with the people here because they understand that it's not as easy to just say no. Yeah. And, um, and so when you also, yeah, 
Well, I was just going to say we, we need to take a break, and I know that you're working on a number of other bills that I thought maybe we could touch on. Um, LaShawn Ford and I, State Rep. LaShawn Ford and I will be right back after this. Joan Esposito, live, local, and progressive on WCPT 820. And I'm pleased to be joined by State Representative LaShawn Ford, uh, who has a number of bills, another um, a number of things that he is working on in Springfield that I I think we have enough time to touch on all of them. <laughs> let's let's start um, with your bill about access to encrypted police scanner transmissions. Explain to the listeners what that's all about. Yeah, so, Joan, now um, a lot of police have moved from analog to um, what you call digital-type radio, and they're able to encrypt their um, channels, which means that they could uh, prevent um, FCC-regulated news outlets like WCVT and um, uh, print papers that print at least 50 of more copies a year from getting the real-time access to crime that's happening in the neighborhood. So mm-hmm. if you're sitting on your porch and there is a hostage um, being held, um, you know, in, in your neighborhood, you won't know it until the police decides to issue a press release to say what's happening. But right now... The news have the ability to listen to crime real time. Well, in the past, the news had the ability to listen to crime real time, and they could issue a reliable news report. Mm -hmm. Now, this is cut out. It's encrypted, which means it's blocked. So the transparency has been taken away, and the um, reporting is in the hands of law enforcement. So, um, you know, if there's a shooting in your neighborhood, you you, want to stay away from a certain area. News outlets, they could tell you. That's why they do breaking news stories. And they're able to report after they investigate the truth. And so the police believe that um, they they don't want this type of... They want to go back to the past where individuals have a right to listen to crime activity. Well, the bill that we're working on will only allow for FCC regulated and licensed um, print papers to um, actually listen. It doesn't allow but it does allow for um, licensed uh, news outlets to listen mm-hmm. to real-time information. And the reason why the um, there's there's bad actors that listen to real-time crime activity, and the law enforcement, I give them the credit that we don't want those bad actors listening to where the police are when they're trying to catch them. Yeah. I agree with that. But it sounds like there are some safeguards um, in place. Um, I also want to talk to you about, and I'm not even sure um, about about this, the compassionate use um, and research of 
and, and theogens, the Cure Act. Explain yes. what that is. Yes. Oh, that is our, you know, this is a way to deal with mental behavior health um, problems and people that are near death because they are um, dying from maybe cancer or something. It's a medicine that has been proven to actually work where the pharmaceutical drugs have failed. We have been working with a lot of veterans and athletes. One of the athletes that we've been working with is um, was from the Blackhawks, a champion, and he tried everything until he got to um, the mushrooms to help him deal with his brain trauma. Uh, We've had people tell us that they were suicidal before they were um, start using uh, mushrooms. And we know uh, what our bill does, one, it decriminalizes the drug we know prohibition doesn't do anything but make taxpayers have to pay for uh, uh, individuals' uh, individuals' use. So we know that the um, treatment of mushrooms would also help people that struggle with substance use disorder. Mm-hmm. And it will only be allowed to be administered through licensed uh, providers. It's not for recreational use. It's only in clinical settings where people will be trained to administer the um, psychedelics and they will then um, use the medicine and then they will leave after the medicine has been fully administered. So it's not recreational. There's a, there's a, 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 a huge demand for this treatment across the world. I think this is something that I saw on 60 Minutes. And it, you know, exactly what you said, you know, it was, um, it was done in a, it was administered in a clinical setting. Um, there were, um, uh, there were medical people there, uh, just in case anything went awry. It was done as a treatment, not as recreation or entertainment. No, not at all. I mean, it's, it's been proven to help reconnect certain, um, connections in the brain and then it's it's i think that they were telling us how the prince of uh prince harry and his family's used it um there's been a lot of celebrities that i think oprah talked about it um there's been a lot of endorsements right now johns hopkins has done research uh, on it, UCLA, um, the University of Alabama. Our bill is focused on the research from these highly qualified medical institutions of research, and that's how we're draft. That's how we drafted our bill to pass in Illinois, based well, on research. You're on the cutting edge of a lot of this medical stuff. How do you stay up to speed on this? 
you know, that's what I love about being a representative. You have to just listen. You know, if you listen and take phone calls and then you you get the edge, <laughs> you know, I, and I, I enjoy being on the cutting edge. And, and it, it really, really um, pays off when you listen to people and you can't be afraid to do what's out of the norm, especially when you've done your research and it's proven to help people. If Illinois passed the Secure Act, we will help hundreds of thousands of people in um, in this state. It, it is it is a help for people, especially veterans, are asking for this. We had a town hall recently, and veterans came out saying that they really, really uh, want to pass this. So what we know mm-hmm. is there's a lot of uh, desire for this, even though it's illegal. And so people are using this type of treatment many times without the protections. And so it's our responsibility as a government to protect the people from harm. We know that there's a lot of fentanyl out there. We know that people are selling drugs that will not deliver on what the individual asks for. And so we need to regulate it, and we need to make sure that um, people are um, actually getting what they expect. Yeah. And, of course, we could tax it and and, <laughs> um, and, and, and help with some of the deficits that we see in, um, in the state. Always thinking about the big picture. That's what I love about LaShawn Ford. Yes. <laughs> Thank you, Dawn. <laughs> I really always, appreciate it, you. It is always so much fun to talk to you, and you are doing such great work. You know, you are really on the cutting edge of a lot of things that um, Illinois should be very proud uh, to have you in the state legislature. I really mean that. Thank you, Joan. And I, I know we're going to go, but I did want to tell you summer is coming, and I know that there's going to be a lot of drifting, a lot of driving, uh, racing, and all of that. Well, we're going to have a bill. Well, there's a bill right now to crack down on drifting and all of those um, drag racing in our neighborhoods where the state police and the police will have the authority to tow those vehicles even after. So that means that if the cars are out there, a lot of times the police can't get the cars mm-hmm. right then. But what this bill will allow for is the surveillance to capture the um, vehicle's identification ah. and pick the cars up at a later date. So we're going to do everything we can to protect people from harming themselves and protecting protect the, those that are standing by watching um, this type of activity. Well, we'll keep an eye out for that one, and when you're ready, we'll um, we'll talk about that at length as well. Uh, it's a All date, right. LaShawn. <laughs> State Representative uh, LaShawn Ford represents Illinois' 8th District. That's going to do it for me. Um, Patty's show is next. I don't think Patty is doing her show today. I, I think there's a guest host. I'm sorry, I don't know who. Um, but regardless, it's always a great show. Richard Chu will kick us off Monday. Monday! 
at uh, 6.30, and I will see you, of course, at 2 p.m. Stay safe. Have a great evening. Good night.